0: I'm your host Fraser Bailey, and welcome to the VegUp Podcast, where we talk mindset, psychology, plant-based nutrition, lifestyle, and big dreams. So, if you want to get your head in the game, level up, and become the best version of you, listen in. Let's go. go Did you know that for almost over a decade, I was diagnosed and suffered through bipolar disorder, severe social anxiety, addiction, and ADHD? Guys, good morning. The reason why I want to talk about this today is because right now, if you're listening to this episode the t- at the time of release, it's May Mental Health Awareness Month. And I figured that what better time? to talk about where I've come from and the mental challenges I've been through to get to the point where I'm at now than during obviously the Mental Health Awareness Month. But especially right now, because of all the uh, stay home uh, protocols suggested uh, for COVID-19, I feel like all the economic, financial, societal relationship, changes and impacts that is having on people is massively, massively magnifying their poor mental health, potentially, and just the struggles that we're all facing collectively. And so I wanted to touch on all of this today because I feel like this stuff ties into fitness, health, and nutrition, because if you can't course-correct your mind and get your head in a better place using a lot of the strategies that I'm going to share in this episode, after I share a little bit of my background story, it's really hard to implement anything long-term and get sustainable results. And at the other end of the spectrum, I think it's also important to look at how our addictions and hooks shape shift over time. And sometimes they can shapeshift into the form of fitness, which is a more socially acceptable, I guess, addiction to have that can then morph into things like body dysmorphia and eating disorders. And that's very prevalent in in society and in the fitness industry. And so it's important to see that. And I'm going to address the shapeshifting, the hooks, the shapeshifting addictions and how I was able to dissolve a lot of them away And it is challenging, but it is possible. So buckle in and let's dig into this because I want to share my story with you. So I am 35 years old now at the time of this podcast recording. Back when I was in New Zealand, uh, Auckland, New Zealand, uh, I was born in Wanganui, and at a young age, my family moved up to Auckland in New Zealand, which is the biggest city in New Zealand. And my dad moved, there, moved the family there because of the business opportunities that uh, were provided for him. But we didn't have any family there, extended family. So it was just our immediate family, my mother, my brother, and my dad. And there was you know a lot of mental health challenges in my family. Like I don't want to go into that because that's their personal stuff, but let's just say that within my immediate family and even extended family, there was a lot of mental health challenges that people went through that really saw them struggle, saw them try to find themselves and it's hard when you are living that way because you you can never bring your best self to the people that you love because you can't even bring your breast self to you. And so at a young age, my parents divorced when I was about five or six years old. And my mother moved back to Wanganui with her close family. And we kind of grew up in this split household. And my dad was trying to get his career off the ground. And so he worked a lot of long hours and It was, you know, for the most part, like many people have, childhoods like that. Like it wasn't, it wasn't as bad as what some people have, but again, it's not about comparing your upbringing or comparing your bad situations to someone else's. In your head, it's it's traumatic. So give that validity. I think a lot of people often have shame around. Things that they've gone through thinking, oh, well, it could have been worse, or look at that person over there who's got it way worse. And so you you dismiss the impact it might have had on your mind, or you cast shame over feeling that way. Like you shouldn't be feeling this way right now. And I'm here to tell you that it's okay to feel those things. It's okay to feel upset or feel lost or feel unhappy. But it's important to step back and recognize those thoughts and states and then step away and reframe it and use tools that I'm going to provide for you and share with you that I've used to help come back into that situation with a fresh perspective. That's a positive one. It's not driven by shame or I shouldn't be feeling this way. And so fast forward into my early teens, because that's typically for me when all of this really started to unfold. And so at the age of about 12 or 13, I started to get diagnosed with depression and ADHD, which back for my generation, that was very young. Like There wasn't a lot of people at my age now back then who were being diagnosed with depression and ADHD at that age. It's way more prevalent now, which is really scary. And I'm not going to go down that rabbit hole because I have, and I know a lot about that, but it's it's just a, such an all-encompassing, all-consuming topic, talking about why this is happening in younger people now. I will save that for a later topic. But it was happening in me, and I didn't see a lot of other people that it was happening to. Now, it could be because they were keeping it private as well because they thought, like me, oh, I'm the only one going through this. And there were people who had challenges, but like for me, I really started to notice that I would get into these depressive states, and it was typically around fitting in. Like I always felt like I was never, never enough. Like I, I, I wasn't enough just being who I was. That I had to shape shift how I looked. I would change the way I dressed. I would change my hairstyle. I would change the the theme of who I was to try and fit into these cliques at school. And I never really felt like I fit. And I would often feel like an outsider. I was this small kid. I was way smaller than my peers. I was really like a runt, and I had really bad skin. And I just felt like I wasn't noticed. And I always remember, you know, like I just had never had any any girls notice me either. Like i I, I had crushes on different girls at school and like they just wouldn't notice me and that was a real big blow for me mentally thinking I'm just not enough you know I'm the way I am is just not enough and I always remember this incident and it stuck with me to this day where I had feelings for this girl for months and months and months and I never had the courage to share anything with her about it but I finally got the courage up one day to share it with her friend, and I asked her friend if she could talk to this person for me, which is just a funny way of doing it looking back now, but I was just so shy and nervous and the anxiety, right? The anxiety was real, and the rege- the fear of rejection was real, and she came back to me and she said, she really likes who you are as a person, and, but she would probably go out with you if you looked different, <laughs> She would probably go out with you if you looked different. And that never left me. I thought to myself, the way I look is not enough. And it really affected my confidence and my mind. And I remember just feeling like, okay, well, if I am not enough with the way I look, then maybe I just need to try and do different things that will get me noticed through my actions and not in a positive way either. And so I remember. When I was about fifteen years old, we had a school social, which is like a school ball where you kind of dress up and you you go there. It's and, and you don't dress up in super formal, but you dress up a little bit and you go there, and there's music and dancing and all that type of stuff. And I remember that I I took a a bottle of dry gin, Seager's dry gin. Oh God, that stuff is so bad. Uh, from my stepmother's alcohol cabinet. And I'd never even drank before from memory. I'd never drank before. And I just grabbed that because I didn't know what, I just thought it was, okay, that's the thing I'm going to drink. I didn't know how disgusting it was. And I remember being there around the popular kids and a lot of them were smoking cannabis. And I didn't do that. But I drank a whole bunch of this 40 ounce of dry gin. And I just, I just literally poured it back down my throat. And I thought to myself, if I can drink this and just drink as much as I can really quickly, they're going to be really impressed. They're going to be like, wow, this guy can really handle hard spirits. (laughs) And so I drank a whole bunch of it just really quickly. And I can tell you that did not end well. I remember stumbling back into the auditorium and I just was like, I was gone. I was rolling around on the floor. My friends could smell it on me. They kind of knew what had happened after the fact they could smell it all over me. And so they tried to hide me in the garden outside where I wouldn't be found. And I was, rem- I mean, at first they took me to the music room, which is like an adjacent room off this big auditorium and I was vomiting in the sink. And then they took me outside to the garden because I was vomiting in the sink. And they were like, well, do it outside in the garden. And they tried to hide me because I didn't want you know, the school principal to find me because then everything would just you know, turn really bad then. Anyway, obviously, the school principal found me somehow, whether someone told him or he just, and I remember him grabbing me and I was so drunk and he's like, where did you get this from? And I just remember I couldn't, I just was like lying to his face. I just, I got from the supermarket and I just remember him yelling at me. That, and that's what it seemed like he was yelling and i thought to myself you know, i'm such a failure like here i am i'm not even enough with the way i look and now i've literally got myself into serious trouble at school and the principal's yelling in my face and i mean what a failure that's what uh, and that's what i thought and anyway i literally almost i pretty much blacked out after that i can't even remember what happened and i remember waking up the next morning and there was the most deep sense of shame like I've ever felt. I didn't even want to get out of bed. I was so scared to get out of bed and go out of my bedroom because I knew that my dad was out there, my stepmom was out there. I didn't even want to face them because I didn't know what I would say. It was so much shame. I just wanted to disappear into a hole. It was it was surreal. And I, would, I, would just, I was just laying in bed, eight o'clock, Nine o'clock, ten o'clock. I just was laying there. I was like, I don't even know how to leave this room. And I remember hearing a knock on the door, and that's when they came in. And I was just so full of shame. But I was met with love and compassion that time. You know, I remember that, that and, and I don't even remember exactly what happened after that. But I just remember that feeling of shame that stuck with me. And guys, I'm here to tell you that there's so many more instances that happen in my life like that where I just I did things that I took to the limit, and I felt awful. You know, I remember a few years later, because I got diagnosed with depression first, and I was on Prozac and all these different medications for years and years and years, and nothing really seemed to work for me. And at one point, I got diagnosed with bipolar disorder. So then I was put on lithium carbonate, and I had to take literally, from memory, blood work every two weeks, I think. You know, something's probably not good for you if you're having to take blood work that often. There's the amount of, level of toxicity involved. And I was on clonazepam, which is uh, which is an anti-anxiety drug, and also Ritalin for ADHD. And so I was using all these different medications, and my diet was terrible. I was just basically just back then, there was no real internet access to learn about nutrition and health. And so Unless you knew someone directly who had discovered these things, you were just eating noodles and pancakes and macaroni and cheese and doing a lot of the things that other families did. And you didn't understand how much nutrition and health played a role in mindset and psychology. Anyway, I remember at a later date, I just started having a lot of conflict with my dad. I, I left school when I was 16. I was a really good school, but after everything I had been through, I remember feeling like I was just stupid. You know, I just, I felt like I was getting, at at one point in time, I really put in the effort. I was really trying to do well and I was getting A's for uh, effort, but I was getting like D's and C's for achievement. And I felt stupid. I was like, you know what? I'm trying. I'm putting in effort, but I'm just not getting the result. And so I thought to myself, you know, why not? Why don't I just quit and go work, go make some money? Because I, I'm obviously not good at this, right? And so I left, and I was working as a, in a butchery part time as a student. And I thought to myself, what easier way to just start full time work than to just ask the current job that I'm working part time at to work full time? And they they took me on full time, and that was the start of my journey into into being a butcher. And it was just this crazy experience where I look back now and I'm like, it's so interesting to see the type of people that get pulled into that industry. And then I ask myself, how much does the collective mindset within that industry fuel a more addictive, negative mental health state? And so what I mean by that is typically a lot of the people who were in that industry were hyper aggressive. They had alcohol problems, drug problems. They just weren't happy functioning human beings and so i think then being around other people like that in a collective it fuels that paradigm it fuels that mindset even more and so i went further down that rabbit hole and i remember that i would be getting into all these fights all the time with my dad i was living at home still and continually just arguing there was so much arguing and i i would get so irrational i would i remember just erupting all the time so i had uh, such a poor way of dealing with conflict and discussion, I would escalate in an instant, just like that. I would go from feeling normal to screaming and yelling in an instant. And I would hyperventilate and I would cry and I would have snot running down my face. It was just this intense rage and anger and frustration Of at my life, I felt like I was prisoned in my own head and I had no way out. And I remember one evening in this sort of cry for help slash show of aggression, when I was arguing with my family, I punched through a glass door and then I just took all the pills that I had. And I just swallowed everything in front of them. And it was almost like this just cry for help. Like, I'm so in so much pain. I need you to see this pain. Some people might have called that a suicide attempt. For me, it wasn't even that. It was like I, I was in so much struggle and i didn't know how to sh- verbalize that the the intensity of that struggle to anyone that i had to just show them through this ridiculous action this this intense action of look at what i'm about to do this is what you made me do this is what life's made me do and how often can we see that with people when they just lose their you know lose their mind and they they do really awful things to other people or to themselves in that, in that heat of the moment. And I was in that place. And that was another instance where I woke up the next day with such deep shame. I mean, I had to go to the hospital for that. Uh, it was, and then waking up the next morning, there was just such a deep level of shame again with like, I'm back here again. And good old Fraser back here at it. You know, like, are you ever going to sort your shit out? maybe not. And it's like just the pain and struggle that came with that. And I remember that I was during this period of my life, this is probably from about 18 through to about 21 years old. And so I'd been struggling for years now. And I would use alcohol and drugs as a way to numb the pain. And I was also abusing my prescription medications. So I would definitely abuse my Ritalin and my anti-anxiety medications. I would use the Ritalin to like really charge me up if I was going out to a party or something. And then I would use the anti-anxiety drugs to really make me crash. And I remember doing that all the time on top of alcohol and poor food and everything. And I was hanging around with just a really bad crowd of people as well. They were broken people like myself. And how often do you find that where very often if you're in an environment with other people who are struggling, you tend to just take on even more of that. And that becomes who you are and and you fuel that to other people as well. And so I was in an environment with people who drank and did drugs and stole cars and robbed houses and did all these crazy things, some of which are in, in prison now. And I feel like looking back, me getting all the tattoos and me being around these people was almost like another attempt at me trying to fit in. So if I didn't fit in with the way that I looked and I wasn't popular with how I looked, then I would try and be popular with you know, drinking too much. And if that backfired at school, now I'll get into a t- crowd of tough people and I'll act tough and I'll act like I'm a badass and I'll be around these people who are violent and aggressive and it might get me notoriety or people will fear me, but they'll respect me, right? How often is that another thing where intimidation and, and strong-arming people is a way to just kind of gain respect because you feel like you can't get it any other way? And I remember that was, that was my life. I didn't work out. I hated my job as a butcher. It was awful. I would cry before I had to go to work. I chain smoked. I drank. My diet was terrible. I wasn't vegan. I watched tons and tons of violent movies. Like if you ever remember those movies, those those Saw movies, man, there's like seven of them or something. They're so violent and sadistic, but I used to love watching stuff like that. I just used to watch them all the time. And now I, I literally can't even watch those things anymore. If someone wanted to pay me to watch those, I probably wouldn't because I feel it really affects your energy and state in such an awful way. And I'll talk about that more and in, in some of the strategies. But what really started to happen in my life was I was seeing a psychiatrist who was the one that was prescribing me the medications and it, nothing was really working. That's the thing, guys, is that some people find that medications work for them and that's great. But for a lot of people, and myself included, it really didn't change much because I wasn't changing anything else. You know, I wasn't addressing anything else in my life. And my psychiatrist, I remember him saying, maybe we need to go and see a psychologist, a counselor. So alongside this medication, you can talk to someone who can help you through, navigate through some of these challenges and problems. And at the time, I was like, oh, whatever, man, you know, nothing else has worked. But I mean, why not give it a try? Right. And I remember going to see this guy. His name was Frank Hayes. And I didn't know at the time, but we would end up having a, you know, four or five year relationship where I would go and see him every week. And early on it felt really heavy. It was I felt like it was so much to get through. And I was like, this isn't working. You know, like I do not feel any different. In fact, I feel worse because I'm just talking about all these awful instances and things that I suffered through and I and I leave the, the session feeling worse. Like what? And I remember thinking to myself, just give it time because what if it does help? Because I mean, the medications hadn't helped to that point. And I thought to myself, okay, I'm just going to go back next week and just give it another shot. And I stitched that way of thinking together. And what I found over time was that as I discharged more of the suffering and the pain that I've been through in my life, I started to get closer and closer to the present date to the point where when I would see him. I would just talk about what's happened over this past week. Like it wasn't me going through my whole life talking about everything. And sometimes we would revisit things in my past, but I found it's almost like I managed to like release all the suffering and struggling and challenges from my life, you know? And, and it was stuff that I'd, I'd held on to for so long. Like I remember my first girlfriend that I'd ever had when she broke up with me. I literally stayed in my room for probably two or three months and just cried every day. It was so intense and I would play really sad music that would make me even more emotionally upset and I would just keep repeating that state. And I remember not feeling the heaviness with any of those things anymore, not the suffering that came with it. I could see it for what it was. And I could sort of almost appreciate that I'd just been through it and that I came out and there was a a less heaviness with it. There was more of a weightlessness associated with that feeling. And I remember him then suggesting to me at one point, you know, a year or two into our relationship, he was like, you know, why don't you try going to the gym? Why don't you try working out? Because that can help some guys. And this was still early in the days. Like there wasn't youtube YouTube was not prevalent back then I think it had just began there was there wasn't really social media like I wasn't on Facebook so I wasn't seeing other fitness people learning from fitness people seeing the fitness culture it was not it was that sort of before that social media generation and so I was I had had no influence like I had no one showing me any of that fitness stuff and so I ended up going to the gym and I started to enjoy it You know, like more so for the camaraderie, I found that when I went there, there was a certain type of people that hung out there that at the time they were a little bit older than me. I kind of developed friendships with people who were about 10 years older than me and they almost took me under their wing and they'd been through a lot and they'd already come out and they had families and they were businessmen and businesswomen and entrepreneurs. And so I started to just be around people who were a little bit more mature and a little bit more evolved. And maybe they could just it could have seen the potential in me. I don't know, but I started to connect with them. And so I started to value health more, and I started to value showing up there for the camaraderie as much as the workout. And sometimes that's important, guys, early on, like that's the connection with other people. And I found that that just created this snowball effect, where I then started to learn more about nutrition and I started to learn more about myself. And it's not to say that I just completely changed my life straight away. I want you guys to recognize and realize that that wasn't the case. So I still I still drank. I didn't do illicit drugs, but I still drank and I was still using my medications. And I left the butchery and I wanted to go back and study, but I still kind of got caught up in like drinking culture and struggle. And it wasn't the sunshine and rainbows transformation that people kind of portray. And sometimes for some people, it is that. It's this epiphany, this awakening. And it's in the moment, you just kind of snap out of the, the state that you were in. But for me, it, was, it wasn't like that. It was gritty and, and grindy. And there was periods of like regression in periods where I went sideways and I didn't make any progress or I just kind of felt like I was drifting. and I even remember I went back to study law and psychology and I was really committed at first. I was like, you know what i'm I'm finally broken through. I'm gonna prove to the world that I'm smarter than what i I was when I was in school. And for the first year, I did really well. like I I focused and I was in the trenches studying and I was getting A's and stuff and then, like what happened before I started hanging around with people at the university bar. And then I just found that I slowly started drifting away from like showing up to lectures and it all just fell apart again. And I'd been studying for three years and I had thousands and thousands of dollars of student debt. And I, and I remember getting such bad anxiety because I was drinking and I was still not eating well, but I was working out. So I was doing some things. And I remember. I would have to catch the bus to go into the campus every day from the North Shore into Auckland, which is about a 60-minute drive. And I remember how crowded the bus would get sometimes if I if I got up too late. And I got up to, you know, rather than, I used to try and get the bus early so it would be a little bit more empty. And I found that as I removed the drugs and the alcohol from my life, the anxiety went up. Like I was finally had to confront and face all this anxiety in my life. And that's what made it more difficult. And that's when one day I remember getting on the bus, I had woken up a little bit late. The bus was completely packed of people, and I had an anxiety attack. Uh, my heart rate went through the roof. I started sweating, I went bright red, and I was like, I almost vomited, and I, and I got off the bus and I thought to myself, "No, you go home. This is a, it's, you don't deserve this." Almost like saying, like, you know, like be kind to yourself, go home and recover." But in my head, I was thinking, no, just quit. you've you've had enough." And I just allowed myself to stop. And I remember quitting entirely and I just stopped and had all the student debt and I had nothing to really show for it. And I remember during that period in time, I just thought to myself, I've had enough of like broken relationships with people and just going down rabbit holes of addiction and suffering and struggle. I just got so sick and tired of myself and the people that I was around that I went like full monk mode. I asked my dad because at the time I was living across the road in a rental property that he had. And I asked him if I could get a dog because I'd never had a dog before. And I just wanted, what well, I wanted this companion that could just love me unconditionally, you know? And I got this beautiful little Fox terrier called Allie. And I remember she was just my best friend, you know? And I, and I remember going to the gym. I would, I would watch a lot of national geographic and discovery channel and I would hang out with Allie And I would spend a little bit of time with my family. So I did have like human contact, mainly at the gym. So like at the gym, I would hang out with my people. Then I would go home and recover and mentally recharge because being a bit of an introvert, once I'd removed the alcohol, I realized I was more of an introvert. Like when I was drinking, I was like, I'm so extroverted. like I'm an extrovert. And really, I wasn't. I was introverted. And I was using these substances to create extroversion. So when I removed them, when I did put myself in social situations, I would get mentally fatigued very quickly. And so I would go home, recover, recharge. And I found that honestly, one of the things that got me the best improvements in my life was just removing so many people out of my life. And this is one of the hardest things that I think people struggle with is that they're addicted to people and human connection and needing to feel loved. And so they bounce from from relationship to relationship to relationship and are just constantly trying to find salvation in someone else. And it just leads them down this path of suffering. And I'd been through that path enough to the point where I was so tired of it. I just, I, I I cut ties with all those people in my life that were not good for me. And I remember being in monk mode for a year or two. And it was probably the biggest growth points in my life where I really learned more about myself, about being autonomous, about companionship with Ellie with about just learning about things on Discovery Channel and National Ge- Geographic that piqued my curiosity. And I remember at the time, after a few years, and I've been seeing Frank, my psychologist as well, I started to use Facebook. So I was getting more into fitness and I and I went back and I actually studied nutrition, human structure and function and, and physical fitness, like personal training. So it's like a combination thing. And it was a three-year degree compressed down into two years. And I actually passed, guys, for the first time in my life, I passed. But I'll tell you, it wasn't easy. And I didn't pass with flying colors. I kind of just scraped through. So again, it's not like this like from rags to riches story. I really just kind of scraped through. But I did pass. And that sparked that light in me of like, what what is possible? Like, what could I do if I just persist? And that sparked on more change, asking those types of questions. And I found that I was curious enough to say to my psychologist, Frank, you know what? Like, I kind of want to get off these medications. Like, I just want to see who am I beyond these substances? Who am I beyond this sedation? And with the guidance of my psychiatrist and psychologist i slowly weaned myself off all of these things and this is about 10 11 years ago now and i felt okay like i did it i did it strategically i kind of anticipated that i might feel a little bit worse to start with but i tapered away over time with their with their i guess guidance and their observation and during this time also, I just started to learn more about nutrition through this degree, but also implementing things. And I started to understand how much my poor diet and alcohol and staying up late and watching violent movies and doing all these things really attributed to that brain chemistry and that psychology that I was feeling and my and all my acne that I'd, I'd struggled with and really smashed my self-confidence. And obviously then, getting more and more into fitness and bodybuilding, I wanted to optimize that. I didn't want to just go to the gym and then waste it all by eating poorly. So I really tried to learn about those things. And I remember having these awesome people at the gym who were more healthy and they were more ambitious and entrepreneurial. And they really taught me a lot. It was like a a collection of father figures and role models that were able to guide me and i'm i'm so fortunate for that i'm so fortunate for my psychologist that i had this connection with and these role models in my life that were able to guide me and i thought to myself you know i need to like channel my story and my struggle into something meaningful you know i need to share this more and so me and a good friend who had seen my st- my struggle and my story and my evolution, we created this charity event called life beyond pain. And it got national recognition in New Zealand where I was going to leg press for 24 hours and just see how much accumulative weight I could press in 24 hours. And we kind of made it a visual. So like the weight of a NASA space shuttle station or the, the weight of X, Y, Z. And It was really a cool event. It it really got people reaching out to me saying, hey, I just want to acknowledge you for what you've done. And I'm just like here sharing my story. I just want other men and, and guys especially, but people in general, to know that there's no shame in sharing your story and being vulnerable and crying and wanting to tap into softer parts of yourself to break down that hard shell and all of these things. And so I share that so much now because of that. And I remember I leg pressed for, I think it was about 16 hours. It was like in the cumulative weight of a NASA space shuttle station or something crazy like that. Cause I'd been training for it and it was an unofficial world record. And I was proud of that. You know, I was proud of that. But, and at the same time, it's like, just a way to get people to start the conversation to to and also to give me meaning behind some of the struggles I'd been through I think that I needed to find a way to make the challenges I'd been through mean something positive like it wasn't just all for nothing you know and so I think that was a huge motivation for me and I recognized that my my addictions also had shape-shifted, And this is something that I had to be very careful of is that with these addictive personality types and tendencies, you can go from drugs or alcohol and these other things and you can get addicted to fitness or addicted to anything, gambling, pornography, shopping. Some things are way more socially acceptable than other things, like fitness, for example. There's a lot of people out there who really, really struggle with body dysmorphia and eating issues and all kinds of things. And all that's happened is their disordered mental patterns went from something that was more socially unacceptable or negative for them, overtly. And it's a shape shift into this more socially acceptable form, like workaholism, fitness, those types of things. And you have to be careful of that. And I got caught up in that early on. It took me A while to start to see and notice that pattern for what it was, and I'll and I'll touch on that a little bit more because it's only been more so in the last few years that I've really seen that and been able to step away from that, as far as I know. But you know, one of the cool things was fast forward. Like I met, I actually met Lauren through Facebook. Uh, We were in different fitness uh, channels. And I remember seeing someone who shared something and they were being attacked by a bunch of people negatively and it was just not cool. And I remember stepping in and offering a different perspective and defending this person. And I remember seeing her stepping in and offering a a very similar perspective and defending this person as well. And it was funny because like we both kind of said the same thing. And from there, it was just like we clicked and we started this connection where we would communicate and talk. And over a period of months and months and months, like we would talk more, and I got to the point where I, I thought to myself: even though I've been through anxiety and and stress and struggle, what if I don't go and leave New Zealand and come to America to meet Lauren? Like I'll always regret it. Like if I don't just try and see what could happen, I'd always regret it. Like I I, I would it would always be in the back of my mind: what if? And I thought to myself: if I go. And it doesn't work out. Yes, it's going to hurt. It will suck. But at least I will know. But what if it does? And so I, I remember hugging my dad and hugging my dog, and I had tears rolling down my face. And I'd done the work. I'd done the monk mode work. I'd gone inside. I still wasn't perfect. Like I still, I still struggled at times, even to this day. But I'd completely cut the alcohol consumption right down. I was off my medications. I was eating a lot healthier. I wasn't vegan yet. I was working out. And I got on the plane. And so much of the rest of that is history. You know, I I spent time with Lauren. We ended up getting married. We grew together. We challenged each other. You know, we went vegan together. We started evolving alpha and, and veg up and all these things together and we have our beautiful little girl zia and look i'm compressing a lot of that down because i want to get to strategy and ideas for you guys but i want to say that it's there's still been a lot of challenges along the way you know f- with with starting a business with being an entrepreneur with being so far away from my family from having to leave my psychologist who i was so close with the only reason why i stopped going to see him is cuz i came here that's the only reason I would still probably be going to see him to this day if it had not been for that. And I still have my challenges, but now I can tell you, like I haven't drank an alcohol in years, completely medication and drug free vegan for almost seven years now. Yeah. I still eat a little bit of like fun processed vegan food here and there, but my diet is predominantly raw and, and much, much cleaner. Uh, just my lifestyle is so different. I don't watch violent movies anymore, or very, very rarely. And I'm very aware of like taking in violence and negative stuff on social media. And guys, this brings me to the whole point. Is that I can go from this mentally ill person jamming all the pills down their throat and this punching through glass windows, getting into fist fights in the weekend, getting drunk at school, vomiting everywhere being on a raft of medications, struggling, just down and out, so anxious and shy, I couldn't even communicate properly, to the point where I'm at now. And it took work. It was not just this, it was not this sort of cliche overnight success story. It was was gritty. It was messy. There's been times where I felt like I've gone backwards. There's been times where I felt like I've gone sideways. But I'm here to tell you that there's a compound effect with all of this stuff. And first of all, I want you to not feel shame. And I want you to acknowledge what you have been through and not feel like you should be comparing your suffering to someone else's. Oh, like, oh, they have a way worse than me. Therefore, I shouldn't be feeling what I'm feeling. No, feel what you feel, but get solutions to get out of that. See, that's the problem that I had is I felt what I felt, but I stayed there. I had no strategy or motivation or a belief or hunger to get out of there. I often fueled that state even more in a negative way and I just didn't know. And so I found that getting therapy was one of the most important things ever. There's so many people out there who just don't think it works because they just didn't give it the time. It's kind of like you want to transform your body, but you go to the gym once a week for a month and then you're like, it didn't work. No, it just, it just takes longer. It just takes longer. And it's like that with the gym. It's like that with therapy. You need to give it more persistence. And I think there's a power to going monk mode. Now, it's not to say you need to isolate yourself from human contact. Get good contacts. Like for me at the gym, I was around older, more, I guess, evolved role models. And I still had connection with my family and my therapist, but I removed myself from the bars and the clubs and the parties and the drinking and the crazy people that were out there doing all these crazy things. You know, I removed myself from that. And I just didn't keep bouncing from relationship to relationship to relationship, looking for a way to fill myself and make myself whole through someone else. I went monk mode in that regard. And I started to watch things that were not violent, you know, National Geographic, Discovery Channel, learning about different things and the power in sharing, you know, talking about that charity thing I did, Life Beyond Pain. And Even to this day, I've done so many podcasts and I've posted so much on social media about mental health and the mental health challenges that I've been through and lessons learned from that. And I share that vulnerably because people need it. There's a lot of people out there who struggle And I can see the struggle in them and they don't know how to express themselves because they haven't developed the vocabulary to express themselves. And so it's just through negative actions and it's all pent up inside. And so if I can speak on behalf of them, if I can speak on behalf of you, so you understand and you feel accepted, it's worth it. And also what I found is when I share these things and when I give tips, it's like self coaching. I'm reinforcing and reteaching these principles and these ideas back into myself again. Have you ever noticed that when you teach something, you actually reinforce the lesson back into yourself and you go away doing it more. That's why I do this because I recognize that all these practices I've talked about around being conscious about your anything that you go back to listen to on this on these podcasts, about morning and evening routines, habits, rituals, personal development, Working out, fresh air, sunlight, clean food, all of these things that I talk about in all the previous podcast episodes, that stuff is like a a series of compound effects. They all synergize off each other. One in and of itself might make a little difference, but when you combine them all, that's when so much can change. But you have to be patient because a compound effect doesn't just show itself as results straight away. It can be very subtle over time. And another thing now, more so that I've embraced in recent times, was like I was saying, the shape shifting of addiction. So through the years, like I, I was, I would overtrain. I would train so much because it was like my new addiction. And I know that not everyone can relate to that, but that was my thing. And then the re- part of the reason why I would overtrain is because I would eat so much food, like I was addicted to food. And the only way I could manage my physique and not get, overweight was to overtrain. And so I was eating more processed foods, I was eating more food, and I was overtraining as a way to combat that. And so that just was not good on my body for my health. And that was probably in the last five years I stopped really doing that because I, I started to recognize that that was a problem as well. That like all the other addictions I'd had in the past had shifted into that and it took me courage and strategy and awareness and reframing my values and understanding what I wanted from life. Especially when I became a father, I recognized that it was more about just being, it was more than just being strong and having big muscles. I wanted to live a long time and I wanted to have good energy. And because so, you see, when I was doing all of that, my energy was still not good. I had abs, I was in shape, but my energy was terrible. My blood work wasn't that good my mood wasn't very good. And so I just I looked okay, but I didn't feel okay. And how often do we see that? And especially when I became a father to Zia, I even more wanted to be a good role model for her. And I wanted to live a long life for her and I want to be healthy for her. And so my values evolved with that. And I found guys that over time, the more that I've understood how much nutrition drives chemistry in the body and better psychology alongside movement every day healthy movement not overtraining and not undertraining but healthy and there's a there's a threshold you have to discover that yourself you don't really know where that is until you start it's something you learn through doing and the constant personal development and Being around positive people and not gossiping and being negative, focusing on good discussions and growth and change and being very aware of what type of media I take in and and filtering that and not watching violence and talking about violence and doing all these things. Like all of that stuff is important, guys. It all will change your life. But you just got to start by recognizing that you have challenges that you need to work through and being patient with yourself, but at the same time, actively trying to find solutions. And so if I had to tell you what to do, it would be a compound effect of all of these things. It would be find people to talk to. It would be surround yourself as much as you can with role models and people who raise the bar, raise your standards. It would be improve the quality of your diet because that's really driving a lot of how you feel. It would be removing alcohol from your life. Alcohol just doesn't have a good purpose, guys. It's not good. And potentially talking with your doctors about getting off your medications at some point if you wanted to do that. Now, you don't have to do that, but that's just what I did. And getting more expressive with your story and being confident in that and sharing it as a way of self-coaching these positive lessons into yourself. I'm still a work in progress. There's still so many things that I want to improve. I want to improve my patience with with life, with people, with our daughter. I still make mistakes. I still get reactive, but I'm quicker at picking up on it and I'm quicker at course correcting it now. And I want you to know that you aren't alone. That right now we face a lot of challenges that if you, like I said at the start of the podcast, if you're listening to this now, during Mental Health Awareness Month, and especially during this COVID-19 challenge, mental health is a real issue. And I want you to know that you're not alone and that if you want help, seek it. Don't be shy to ask people for help more people understand than you probably realize and know and just start with the small stuff you know start like go back and listen to the previous episode that in this in this podcast about the low-hanging fruit I talk about low-hanging fruit protocols where I'm just like here are a few fundamental things you can do every day that aren't hard that you can implement straight away that's going to help improve the quality and the results in your life but I just want you to know that I get it I understand. And it's challenging at times. And sometimes you need to kick your own butt and pull yourself up by the bootstraps and be like, you know what? I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. I'm sick and tired of this mindset that I'm choosing to adopt. I'm sick and tired of choosing to be miserable. Because that's one of the things that I, I had to stomach and recognize is that I was choosing to be miserable. I was choosing those states. And... It's hard for people to understand that. That You will still feel miserable sometimes, but you can course correct out of that with the right awareness and strategies and kind of seeing it for what it is. And these things are daily practices, guys. That's what I'm here to tell you, is that you don't just do these things once or twice a month and you're good. It's like brushing your teeth, it's like having a shower, it's like drinking water. It's stuff that you do every day. It's daily practices. It's daily self-care. And I recognize now that me working out, me eating well, me doing all these things, they're just it's a conduit to living a more full, vibrant, rich life. Like I want to live fully. I want to experience life more deeply. And they're conduits for that. Like Fitness is not the meaning of life. It's a conduit for a better life. And a lot of people get caught in that trap. They find significance in that one thing, and their whole life gets tangled up in that or in their job or in XYZ. It can be a conduit to live a more full, rich life. And so remember that today. Go back and listen to all the previous episodes of these podcasts, because I talk about all the strategies I've used in different sections. I couldn't go. It would take me hours to go through it in one podcast. Days. So go back and listen to them around morning and evening routines about habit formation, all sorts of stuff. And having routines, but not rigidity. You see a lot of people who are really rigid and, they have, and they're really routine orientated. They get really good results, maybe physically or financially, but they're so rigid that as soon as anything happens in their life that forces them to have to be flexible, their mind breaks down. You want routines, not rigidity. You want routines, but you want to have a degree of flex within those routines. And honestly, part of the reason why I enjoy RVing and traveling in our RV now is because it pushes me in those places where I have to flex. It's not a normal routine all the time. It's different from place to place. And so there are some routines that I have while we're stationary, but once we move, it's the flex. And so it's pushing me to grow. And that's what I love about it, guys. So that is my messages. This is my story for you today. I want you to know that none of this was just overnight. It's always a work in progress. That anyone can change. You can change. If this former butcher who was riddled with mental health, alcohol problems, struggling, can be a vegan today, alcohol-free, and where I am at now, anyone can change. I truly believe that. Start recognizing that you are highly adaptive, and yet you can adopt a growth mindset, and you can change anything about yourself mentally if you choose to, and if you surround yourself with people who have done it and good people. And if you don't necessarily have those people physically in your life, find them online and absorb everything they share. Read their books, listen to their podcasts, follow their YouTube channels, follow their posts, absorb it, breathe it, live it, teach it. That's my message for you guys today. Go out there and start looking for ways to improve the quality of your life. But at the same time, don't diminish what you've been through. Shed the shame around it. Share it. Be vulnerable about it. Teach it. Because my friend, when you do that, that's when you really start to change the course of everything. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Veg Up Podcast and don't forget to subscribe so you can be the first to know when new episodes go live. Please leave us a review and share this on social media. Tag me. Let me know what helped you. Let me know what you want to hear more of. Let's get this information out to the world. Help me do that. And be sure to email us over at Fraser at EvolvingAlpha.com for coaching options and mentorship. Because if you want growth, it begins here, my friend.